When Ronald Reagan was a young lad, he went to the cobbler shop to get a new pair of shoes. That's what they used to call shoe salespeople or shoemakers, cobblers. Well, he went there and got himself fitted and the cobbler said, do you want rounded toes or square toes? Young Ronnie was not sure. He said, I'll tell you in a few days. So a few days later, the cobbler actually saw young Reagan out in the streets and said, have you decided yet whether you wanted rounded tips or flat tips? No, I haven't decided. So the cobbler said, come by the store tomorrow and I'll have your shoes ready. Okay. So he gets there and the cobbler gives him his pair of shoes. One shoe was rounded and the other was square. The lesson that President Reagan wanted us to learn from that was, if you don't make decisions for yourself, someone will make it for you. The lesson is called, Consider This. And the first, and this lesson, it deals with decision-making. The first point is think. Wise parents make decisions for their children. It makes sense because we don't want our children hurt or damaged in any way that we know better. But over time, we help them to learn how to make good decisions for themselves, to be good decision makers. The proverb goes, a wise son hears his father's instructions. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke, Proverbs 13.1. Now the teaching parents may use could be the type that deals with rewards and consequences. We also call that natural consequences. If you go outside when it's wet but you don't have a coat on, you get wet. That's a natural consequence. If you put your jacket on, you're not going to catch a cold. That's a natural consequences. And you'll be rewarded with going out and playing later. That type of thinking is one way that parents choose to teach their kids. So later when they're on their own, when they're out of eyesight, whatever age that might be, they benefit from learning objective thinking. You know, common sense. What does the truth of the situation tell me? Good choices. As my mom and dad did when I first went to college, I said, what they asked, what do you want to do? I said, I have no real, real idea what I want to do. But I'm choosing the business degree mainly because I'm tired of science and math. Okay. Well, being that they're from the business world, why don't you also include computer science with your major and that will make you more marketable in the future? And to me, that was like, that makes sense. It was my choice, but they had taught me enough over the years to help me realize that 
although I might have seen them as people who weren't smarter than me, I knew that they actually were smarter than me. <clears throat> A challenge for any family unit is found in their values. Who starts the values for the family? Well, it's mom and dad. Mom and dad start the values. If the value is to get ahead in life, regardless of what happens around you, no matter the cost, well, this could breed a lot of worldly outcomes, could it not? We've probably all met those folks who were driven to get ahead. They'll step on everybody on the way up the ladder of the corporate structure. They'll deceive this way or that way just so they don't have to do or pay this penalty. They want to get ahead. Now, if our value then is love God and keep His commandments, chances are you're not going to promote worldliness, but you're going to promote godliness in your family. Your value system is dependent on the choices you make as parents even before having kids. But godly thinking only comes from godly truth. If I was not a Christian prior to having kids and getting married, more than likely I will not have godly values. I might have high morals, but who is God and why do I have to keep His commandments? I think of Ben Shapiro. Who knows that name? Ben Shapiro? Yeah, he's a very good conservative uh, talk, talk person. Uh, very good at, at those value systems. But he's a very strong Jew, leaning more on the Orthodox. And if you've ever listened to him on his discussion with uh, people who are Christians, he will basically say that Jesus is not the Son of God. Um, he is basically not even a prophet, like the Islamists would say, but he is just a man who tried to upend the Roman authority like so many others did at that time. Well, we know from our understanding in the New Testament that there were a lot of Jews at that time who felt the same way. Now, I'm not saying Mr. Shapiro would behave as some of them did, but you have that animosity, that, that disbelief and thinking that you can't do good enough in your life, that you need somebody to die for you to save you. Jesus said, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. They will put you out of the synagogues. He said to his disciples, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. John chapter 14, verse, chapter 16, verse 2. 
So what did they lack in their thinking process to begin with? Well, they lacked thinking from the viewpoint of God through Jesus Christ. And when you ask somebody to consider this, to think uh, in a similar way as you do, it's important that they are on the same page. The second point of consider this is permanent. Now, as we all know, the older we get, not all decisions we make are good. It doesn't matter even if we grew up in the best value system there is of godly truth in a godly family. Not every decision we make is based on that because we fall to our own agendas. So we mourn about it. We're frustrated. We're angry with ourselves that we have fallen short. So is it possible to make decisions that contradict all godliness? Yes, even for a follower of Christ. This is seen when young people, and I can call them young people now, when young people leave their house of origin. If you remember your college days, you saw it a lot. You might have been one of those people. Oh, you were there always at church, but now you're at college. Oh, I need to sleep in today because yesterday was just too much busy. Or whatever. I can sleep in because I'm at a Christian school and I'm just doing Christian stuff all week long so I can take a break. This is seen at that time. The fact is, a wise person will stay away from ungodliness. But a wise person will also say, oops, I've fallen in the trap. I will repent from the ungodliness I got involved in. Jesus taught a parable. He said, there was a man who had two sons. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It's called the story or the parable of the prodigal sons. We read that this morning in our scripture reading. We're not going to go over the whole thing. But one concept shared is that those who follow God on occasion will fall away from Him. Give me the wealth, do me, Dad. I want it, and I want it now. You know, Jesus doesn't give the idea necessarily that the dad knew that the son was going to go off half-cocked and go into the world. I imagine he probably would have said, no, <laughs> I'm not giving you anything with that kind of thinking and behavior. We can be fooled sometimes, can't we? So he gives him what he asked for, and the son, not long, says this. And the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later. Almost as if he was already making plans. So he chose this life of sensuality even though he knew and evidently grew up in a very godly valued system. Family. And I say it's godly valued just by the reaction of the dad when the son came back. Sometimes I try to put myself in different people's place. Am I the son that left? Am I the father that reigned behind? Am I the older brother? One of the things I think we don't fully or we think about is sometimes the oldest father, the oldest son is more like the father than the youngest son is. So if that's the tendency, maybe the dad was like the older brother in the past. We don't need to forgive. We need to move on. But when faced with the reality of somebody who in his family has loved, his child has walked away, ran away, and he's coming back, and he sees him coming back, that whole persona is just smashed from the, this is the way it's got to be, to, let's kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. The younger son dealt with that sensuality in so many various ways. Even the older son says all that prostitution he was involved with. Not a good example of somebody who was a good steward of funds. He ended up in the pig pen or amongst the pigs. He wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And then, Luke 15, 17, he came to himself. What does that mean? He thought about it. He considered his situation. Maybe that also has to do with knowing who his dad was. His family. My dad takes care of the servants better than I'm being taken care of out here in the world. I'm going to go back to him. At least I'll have food to eat. He can look back at the value system. So he looked at that pig pen right over there with all the pigs around eating everything. They're omnivores, right? They just eat anything. Makes you almost not want to eat a pig. And he gave them a wave. He said, goodbye, pigs. Goodbye, world. We might say he gave them a permanent wave. I heard somebody laugh at that. A permanent wave. I'm done with you. This is permanent. My value system has changed. I've made a decision and I'm going back. 
to a father who had compassion. Of course, we can apply that to our relationship with God in heaven, can't we? Yes, we can. He loves us that much. So I think it's important for us also to consider the reward that comes from being faithful. You see, God our Father wants the best for us. But He also knows that sin is very provocative because it comes from our personal desires, our wants. Sin can be fun. If you ever talk to anybody in sin, <clears throat> which would be all of us at one time in our life, we didn't do it because it was not fun. Or we didn't get some reward from it. Some benefit. Until its destructive nature shows. But the father sacrifices the fattened sheep and celebrates. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 and following. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Reward or incentive is not a bad thing. Excuse me. <coughs> this son did not think he would receive either. But the love of his father showed otherwise for a son that would return from his worldliness and his forgotten values. Though our reward truly comes from the work of Christ, because we cannot earn it, God does have expectations in how we live and how we promote Him. He wants us to stay faithful. As 2 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So consider this as we close the lesson. What reward do you seek? 
Do you seek the reward that comes from worldliness that is short-lived? Or do you seek the reward of eternal life in heaven? Also, consider this. Do your values match God's values? If there's anyone here today who has any prayer requests or otherwise, 